Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Late Night Wrestling Pod with your host, Brandon Stowe. Hello there, welcome to episode four of the Late Night Wrestling Pod. Tonight, we will go to my very first ever SmackDown, November 18th, 1999. But before we do, I want to share some news with you. Um, Episode three, my ECW Undertaker One Dead Man show and SummerSlam Nashville review has gotten a lot of uh, positive feedback. So if that's something you'd want to, you know, hear more about. Not necessarily, um, you know, going to Nashville, but like, you know, just my everyday trips involved with wrestling, of course. I know you don't want to hear about me going to fucking work or anything, but um, anything like that, then yeah, I'll be more than happy to do that. Um, so in other big, big news, I finally got my hands on Bill Watts's book. Yes, I am uh, currently reading the um, second Shawn Michaels book. And I know we're not at the book section of the podcast yet, but just so I didn't forget, I'm going to finish Shawn Michaels' book, and then I'll be quick to read Bill Watts's and hopefully give it a good review. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about that one. Excited as I've been in a long time about a wrestling book. There's something about the Mid-South wrestling at that time that is just so fascinating to me and it's like you see a lot of the wrestlers they don't look like the wrestlers of today they look like in my opinion regular guys maybe not regular guys they're definitely people you wouldn't want to cross on the street but you know uh, like their biggest superstar was junkyard dog and he at one point had a pretty good physique but you know towards you know 1983 1984 Junkyard Dog was letting himself go, and he was still their top star. They had uh, Ted DiBiase before he was the Million Dollar Man, Jim Duggan, or as Bill Watts liked to call him, Jim Dugan, and uh, Matt Bourne as the Rat Pack. That was a pretty interesting stable. You have Mr. Scanbar Akbar. I think I'm saying his name right. I feel foolish if I mispronounced it. But, um, you know... Uh, a lot of it is just going back to Peacock and watching the old episodes and, uh, you know, Bill Watts is a lot of humorous uh, references and commentary. And I, I really would uh, be remiss if I didn't give props to uh, Arcadian Vanguard's Mid-South Wrestling Podcast Review. Uh, it really is what kind of introduced me to Mid-South Wrestling. It's a great podcast, so if you want to you know, check it out. Um, I imagine if you're listening to this, you probably are familiar with that, but Arcadian Vanguard Mid-South Wrestling Pod Review, definitely worth checking out. Every show on the uh, Arcadian Vanguard is pretty good, so I would highly recommend you check it out. But back to SmackDown from November 18th, 1999. So let me go ahead and set the stage for you. In 1999, I am 12 years old. I went to this show with my father, my brother, and one of his friends. I uh, went to a scalper and bought, like, ringside seats or whatever. And me and my dad, uh, our seats were so bad. I remember they were behind the old Ovotron. And, um, you know, I didn't care. I was young, whatever. I got to go to wrestling. I got to go to SmackDown. And at the time, SmackDown was on UPN. And it was not available in my television market. So this was literally the first episode of SmackDown I ever saw. And um, 
Once again, this was like just like my uh, review of the first Raw I ever went to. This was not a great show, but uh, as far as wrestling goes, but it did progress uh, some story. Um, it did make some progress with storylines, and um, you know, I guess that's really the point of free TV wrestling. You know, I remember this night. I uh, uh, I got I saved up my allowance and my. Dad, oh, my dad probably just bought it for me. I probably didn't really have any allowance. But uh, my dad bought me the Y2J shirt, the original one. I'll post it to Twitter after this video is, uh, or this podcast is uh, published. But um, we open up to Degeneration X. This version of Degeneration X is just the New Age Outlaws, X-Pac, and Triple H. Triple H just lost the WWE title to The Big Show. Uh, the Sunday before at Survivor Series. At this time, SmackDown wasn't live. It was taped on Tuesday night, so just two nights earlier. And if you remember from uh, the Survivor Series 1999, it was the one where Stone Cold Steve Austin was hit by a car. And uh, this show kind of, like, puts the the beginning threads of the whodunit. But it was... I think it was almost a year before they finally revealed who it was, and it was Rikishi, who I remember wrestling a dark sh dark match that night, but it still had not really uh, made his presence on TV yet. So we open up to Degeneration X just beating the shit out of the Stooges, um, Pat Patterson and uh, 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 Gerald Briscoe. And the thing that was funny to me was... <clears throat> Pat Patterson was bleeding from this beatdown, and it was obviously, uh, you know, fake blood and staged, whatever. But I, I just didn't understand, like, what was the purpose of the blood? What was the purpose of the beatdown? Because just not even six months earlier, Vince McMahon was taking advantage of the Stooges and didn't really care about their well-being. But now it's, uh, you know, Vince McMahon. He's worried about his family. He's worried about his friends. It was a uh, Quite the departure from the uh, evil Mr. McMahon character, but irrelevant. It uh, you know it served its purpose. We cut to the original SmackDown intro, and God, that music was terrible. I um I, I completely forgot about it, but the one thing of hearing it like brought back to me were the old SmackDown games for the PlayStation. At the time, uh, uh voice and kind of like uh, uh like. Vocal audio was still relatively new to games, and it picked that up, but it, it, like, when the wrestlers, like, in career mode would talk or whatever, it'd show you dialogue boxes as opposed to, like, them actually talking, and uh, it's like, I, I couldn't even understand what they were saying, I should, probably should have done some research to see what the lyrics were, but it just sounds like mumbling, like, here we go, here we go, here we go, but irrelevant, so... Vince McMahon shows up in his limo with his family, and um, Sergeant Slaughter informs Vince that uh, the Stooges, Briscoe and Patterson, have just been beaten down by Degeneration X. And I think it was funny, um, so McMahon gets to him, and uh, Gerald Briscoe is lying on the ground like, Oh, Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon. It was, just, it was great acting. It was funnier than shit. I, uh, I as a kid I couldn't appreciate it, but it was funnier than shit. So we get to our first match, and it's too cool. Pre Rikishi, Grandmaster Sexy, and Scotty Too Hotty, Brian Christopher, Brian Lawler, and uh, Scott Taylor 
versus Edge and Christian. At this time, they're still using Edge's original music and coming through the crowd. They're no longer in the brood, but they're still that kind of broody character or whatever, gothic, don't really talk much. It starts off with um, Grandmaster Sexy cutting a promo on Ian's, or Edge and Christian, who were going by Ian C kind of at the time. And it really didn't make any sense. And there was a lot of like, like just kind of matches there for filler, and they'd have them cut some uh, stupid little promo to give it purpose, or there'd be a silly backstage segment leading to their matchup. And, uh, um, you know, if done right, it, it could be very effective. We don't really see it too much anymore, but it was um, the examples from tonight's show were poor examples. But it, I think it could be a very effective way of making a match on TV actually kind of mean something and not really affecting storyline. So it wasn't really a great match. Edge and Christian were still kind of finding themselves. Uh, like I said, Too Cool didn't have Rikishi yet, so they're kind of a joke, kind of annoying. And um, it ended with uh, uh, the ref, some schmoz where the referee is distracted and uh, Brian Christopher does his leg drop off the top rope onto Christian, I think, who is pinning Scotty Tuhati. Uh, he rolls Scotty Tuhati on top of him. One, two, three. Two cool wins, and the crowd doesn't give a shit. From there, we cut to a commercial for WrestleMania 2000, the game. I'd never really played the game at the time. I had a PlayStation. I was playing the... Uh, I was still probably playing the WWF Attitude or the first SmackDown game if it came out yet. I don't think it had, but uh, WrestleMania 2000 wasn't available. And once again, I said this about uh, uh, the WCW Mayhem game, I think, when I was reviewing the Nitro episode. And God, how games have come in these, um, you know, 25 or 24, 23 years later, like, the graphics were so bad. Everybody had a block body, and it looked, you know, really amateur. And it would never get by today. And not to get off subject, so I recently saw the kind of a trailer for the AEW Fight Forever video game. Not to get off topic, but uh, I call it a trailer. The game has Tony Schiavone and Britt Baker, DMD. And it and it shows uh, uh, some gameplay from it, and I really hope that the final product is a lot better. The graphics are terrible. It looked like it for whatever reason was reminding me of the old ECW games on PlayStation. They were basically the same engine as the uh, WWF Attitude games, and at the time the graphics were good, but those graphics looked bad and it had. It was like in all kinds of mini games too, and I'm thinking like the mini games are my least favorite part of the wrestling games. The submission shit and the pinning stuff is my least favorite part of the wrestling game. Necessary, but my least favorite part. And there's a part where they're like in the game they're playing baseball and stuff, and I I don't know. I I heard that like Kenny Omega was saying he wanted it to be more of an arcade style game. I like it more when they stick clear to, like, the, like, straight up, like, try to make it as authentic as the stuff you see on TV. Not a real big fan of the arcade wrestling games. And in the game, there's a, uh, or at least a trailer, there was a uh, a part where they were playing baseball. Like, where the fuck does this come into play with a wrestling game? I, um, I'm still, I still play games. I, uh, um, 
I've got WWE 2K22, and I usually buy all the 2K games as they come out yearly. I never bought WWE Battleground or anything like that. It's just not something I'm interested in. I like the kind of like closer to the actual real life experience. I would say, however, for a critique of WWE 2K22, and I really should just dedicate an entire episode to wrestling video games, like, why can't the women bleed? The men can bleed, but why can't the women? You know, everything needs to be equal. Women bleed just like men. Why can't they both? Whatever. Um, There's plenty of other things I could say about the game, but let's get back to what we're talking about. It cuts to the McMahon family, Vince, Shane, Stephanie, and at the time, Stephanie's storyline fiance test, um, confronting the McMahon family, or confronting D-Generation X, and, uh, you know, nothing really comes of it. Vince calls Triple H a son of a bitch, and Triple H says, you made it personal. And we uh, cut to our next match, which was Kurt Angle versus Gangrel with Luna. At this point, the brood was over with. Uh, Gangrel was with, was with his wife, Luna, on television. And um, this was Kurt Angle's, I believe, Kurt Angle's third match on, on television. He had the pay-per-view match at Survivor Series the Sunday before, a match on Raw, and a match here on SmackDown. And I thought it was kind of a cool touch to introduce Kurt Angle as the only real athlete in WWF. Um, I remember that was his whole stick at first. It was like only gold medalist in WWE, WWF, and only uh, um, you know real athlete in all of wrestling. Which I thought was kind of funny because shit on the other wrestlers and it made him like a real life heel. And um, at the time, and watching this match, there was just like, you know, it was not the Kurt Angle of 2002, 2003, 2001. It was, you know, he was still like kind of figuring it out. And he would figure it out really quickly. He would be a great wrestler, one of my favorites. He had a match with Steve Austin and Unforgiven 2001 that I still watch. But this match had all kinds of amateur moves, and it was just, it was not appealing to watch. And Gangrel was doing the thing at the time where he was um, uh, drinking blood from the scepter, or whatever the fuck you want to call it, and then spitting it out and getting it all over his shirts. Like, do you think they, like, just had a shit ton of those Gangrel white, like, button up blouse shirts? Or, like, somebody actually took the time to wash the fucking fake blood out of it? I don't know. It's just the kind of things that, you know, go through my mind when I'm watching these shows. But, um, Kurt cuts a promo in the middle of the match talking about how he's wrestling a vampire and he's Olympic gold medalist. Kurt Angle would win with the Angle Slam, which at the time was being known as the Olympic Slam. Not a great match, but we cut to the backstage area and Test is playing WrestleMania 2000. Um, it is, and it's, it's funny because he's clearly, you know, not actually playing like the game is up and running, but he's not like trying to like succeed in it. Uh, it, it DX is knocks on the, their, uh, 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 door or whatever. And Stephanie opens the door and they say that they have a gift for, uh, the McMahon's outside, which is. And, you know, like, oh, that, you know, seems suspicious. Why would you do that? Why would you go outside with a uh, faction who you are feeding with says they have a gift for you? 
And uh, um, none of the McMahon, the McMahons are all arguing about who's going to go outside. The gift's outside. So Tess is like, fuck it, I'll go and get it. And Tess leaves the game, and it's still playing. Like, he just walked away, didn't pause it, didn't turn it off, nothing. The game is just still going. And they go outside, and DX jumps Tess and throws him in the back of a trunk and drives off. It was, uh, <laughs> okay, it continued the storyline that's going throughout the night, so cool. And really, I think wrestling needs that now. You know, maybe better quality storylines, but still. You know, it's something to keep you hooked throughout the night. And our next match is for the European Championship. Godfather with his hose versus the British Bulldog. And this is the Bulldog past his prime. And um, Godfather and his hose get the first real pop of the night. I think it's funny. We have Kurt Angle so far, Edge and Christian. Um, <laughs> it's it, when Godfather and the hose gets the biggest pop so far of the night. And it, I kind of you know forgot like what a big deal it was. Godfather came out, was getting booed. It's like, what the fuck? And then he's like, oh, and he brings out these hoes, which, God, that would never get anywhere today. That would, it would be canceled so quick. And uh, uh, Godfather makes a comment like last time he made an offer to the British Bulldog, he didn't accept. Now British Bulldog is going to uh, uh, go to his hotel after the match and jerk off. This is the first masturbation reference of the night. And uh, so the Mean Street Posse come out and start jumping the Godfather. I forgot this was like a team or whatever. I don't know what the British Bulldog and the Mean Street Posse would have in common, but they do. And uh, they help the British Bulldog win. He wins with his running slam. And that's that. Still European champion, the British Bulldog, who is trying to adapt to the Attitude Era by wearing jeans. Everything else about him is the same, but he's wearing jeans. So with that, we cut to another Degeneration X segment with the McMahons. Uh, Triple H says he will beat up Stephanie McMahon. He'll beat them all up, but he'll beat up Stephanie McMahon. And oh, and how in due time he will beat up Stephanie McMahon. But that's for another time. <laughs> we cut to another backstage segment where Viscera is hitting on Tori Wilson. Not Tori Wilson. Uh, just Tori, I think, what was her name? Her Originally, she was Stable Soccer. Stalker? I can't speak. I'm sorry. And uh, uh, she's dating Kane at the time. And it was just another, like, you know, uber sexual fucking, you know, let's give this guy some type of, you know, sexual gimmick or whatever. And um, he hits on her, blah, blah, blah. She turns him down. It's it's not very good. It's it's bad TV. But, you know, for, I guess, for an 18, 19-year-old, or in my case, a 12-year-old, hell, it was funnier than fuck. And um, we get to our next match, which is for the WWF title. It is Hardcore Holly with Crash Holly versus The Big Show for the WWF title. This is a time when um, Hardcore Holly is doing his super heavyweight gimmick and he's coming out with the scale. It, it was funny. And, um, the Big Show had won the WWF title the previous Sunday at SummerSlam. Not Summer, Survivor Series. Sorry. Um, and uh, he was kind of a just a, a random picks. They did the angle where Stone Cold Steve Austin got hit by the car. 
And then you just put the Big Show in there, and he comes out and he wins the belt. So tonight we have the Big Show versus Hardcore Holly. Basically just a squash match. One, two, three, Big Show wins. And what was really funny to me at the time was he was the Big Show was uh, feuding with a big boss man who was doing all this horrible shit. Like, he uh, interrupted the Big Show's father's funeral and just all this terrible shit, fucked up shit. And somehow that got the big boss man into becoming the number one contender. Apparently he'd be, he had beaten the rock on the, the previous Monday night raw. And the big boss man is the number one contender. Let that sink in. The big boss man was the number one contender. He was also the hardcore champion at the time too, but never in a million years. did I think that the big boss man was going to win the WWF title. And it was just kind of like, all right, we've thrown the title on the big show. He's in the middle of a few of the boss man. Fuck it. Let's let it be. So we cut to another segment where it is test and the McMahons. And um, it looks like Tess has broken his nose. They're all checking on him. They're all worried about him. Just another, I don't want to say filler, but, you know, another piece of the story thread. And next we have Viscera versus Kane with Tori, and Kane is pissed. Viscera is hitting on his girl, and Kane uh, sends Tori to the back. Kane's fireworks knock the referee down. I thought I I, I had to have been uh you know kind of it had to have been real because the camera didn't like capture it like perfectly like they would have if they really wanted you to see it. It was, it was funny. He puts his arms up, puts his arms down, fireworks goes off, and the referee just kind of falls on his ass. Um, Tori, so the, the match starts, and Tori comes out, and uh, Big Vis, Viscera, was asking her to be his hoe, and that pisses Kane off. Kane hits a choke slam, one, two, three. Kane wins. And once again, another, like, Ho bitch sexual thing and at the time it's just so common in wrestling and you know we all look back the attitude era with uh you know rose colored glasses but a lot of it was bad it was so fucking bad but you know it was it was what we liked and it was you know probably better than it was better than a lot of what we see today so the next uh, backstage segment is Triple H walking to the McMahon's locker room. He says he has a gift for uh, Stephanie and Tess, the soon-to-be newlyweds. He uh, gives uh, Stephanie, or I can't remember, maybe it was Shane, uh, uh, like a nice wrapped gift. They open it up, and it's a catcher's mask. If you remember earlier in the night, they're saying that Tess broke his nose from DX jumping him. It was kind of a, a, a funny thing. It was like, you know, like, how did they know they were going to break his nose? And they just happened to go and buy a catcher's mitt and a nice a nice gift wrapped a box. And I don't know. It was kind of out of the realm of reality. But it was uh, it was pretty funny. And we're continuing the thread of McMahon and DX. And I know that's what wrestling is missing today. But, you know, maybe this was too fucking much. It seemed like every commercial break... We cut back to the McMahons and DX. So we come back from break, and it is another backstage segment, but it's Jim Ross, who I'm doing the book review on tonight, 
And uh, uh, he's talking to, obviously, one of the police investigators about what happened to Stone Cold Steve Austin when he got hit by a car. And it's funny because it implies that Jerry Lawler had, like, tried to set him up with the investigators and everything. And he calls Jerry Lawler a great A-ass. And it was just, it was funny as shit. Jim Ross's delivery was really good. And uh, Jerry the King Lawler was great as always. And next, we have a hardcore women's championship triple threat match, which means falls count anywhere. Um, it was Ivory versus Jacqueline versus Luna, and this predates uh, Britt Baker, Thumbtacks, and all that by uh, 23, 22 years. And they were fighting all over the arena, and they were, like, hitting each other with, like, just stupid shit, like, uh, sleeves of cups and whatever. There's a one point where they're fighting throughout the arena and they like walk into the men's room, like fighting to the men's room. There's people like pissing. And uh, like, I, I, I honestly don't know if that was planned or not, but it, it didn't seem like it. Uh, they're, they're hitting each other with bags of popcorn, just shit that would never hurt. Ne- never in real life would hurt. I've heard the, uh, whole thing about like you know how bad does being hit with a cookie sheet really hurt well how bad does being hit with a fucking box or a sleeve of uh paper cups hurt not too bad long story short ivory wins um we cut to our next segment which is apparently al snow is depressed and i remember the story because walmart won't sell his toy this is at the time when his al snow with head and there's a big controversy. Was the head a severed head? No, it was a mannequin's head. But they show uh, Al Snow and Mick Foley, Mankind, on a Vegas vacation. It was part of a UPN promotion, Vegas weekend, from the previous uh, weekend. And that leads us up to uh, Y2J, Chris Jericho, in a China segment. It shows last, I think, Monday or the night before, Monday Night Raw. Chris Jericho has apprehended China, tied her up, and is like kind of taunting her with a hammer. And uh, China tells Chris, like, you know, go ahead and do it, do it, do it, whatever. You're not man enough. And Chris Jericho is like, well, I guess you called my bluff. And then just starts pounding the shit out of her fucking hand with a hammer. How ridiculous is that? I forgot all about Chris Jericho's feud with China. That, uh... I remember, like, even being a kid, like, looking back on that, thinking, like, this is some goofy shit. So, uh, the next matchup is Y2J versus Sexual Chocolate Mark Henry. And Mark Henry is saying that he's pissed off at Chris Jericho because he used to have a thing for China. You remember the whole Nation of Domination DX feud? There was the Mark Henry was trying to get with China. And I kind of came to a conclusion, not even a conclusion, but a, uh, realization that i thought it was funny that viscera mark henry and godfather all have these weird sexual gimmicks it's like crazy it's i i I don't know why that they felt like they had to do this like sorry my puppy just walked in the room uh you can see a picture of him on twitter too he's about a uh 60 pound puppy about eight months so I don't understand why they gave all these people these weird sexual gimmicks. And it was all black men, too. And two out of three of them were from the Nation of Domination. So this is a short match. Um, Mark Henry's overpowering Chris Jericho. And then Chris Jericho finds an opening. 
Knocks Henry on his ass. Does the lion salt? One, two, three. Chris Jericho, Y2J wins. And a, a little interesting fact that night. I the I may have talked about this earlier. I'm doing this show in segments. Um, the shirt I bought that night was the first ever Y2J shirt. I have no idea whatever happened to it. It's uh, <clears throat> probably long gone by now, but uh, I'll post that up on Twitter so everybody can take a look at it. And next up, we have a segment with the Dudley boys. It looks like they are on the phone with the investigators about the Stone Cold Steve Austin hit and run. Bubba Ray Dudley is in the midst of his stuttering gimmick that he regained when he came to WWE from ECW and is also wearing a Confederate flag bandana. Like, holy shit, this would not get over today. You know, it was just, it shows you what a different time it was and really just how much has changed in just 23 years. And these weren't the dominant Dudley boys that we would, uh, you know, come to know and love. It was still kind of, in my opinion, sort of a joke when they first got the WWE, WWF at the time. They eventually got it together and won, like, the WWF tag team titles like 30 times or something like that. And next up, we have a backstage segment. There are so many backstage segments in this. Oh, my God. A backstage segment segment with The Rock. I didn't go back and watch the Raw from the night previous, but apparently the big boss man defeated The Rock with the help of Prince Albert. And uh, Rock's doing his things, doing his catchphrases, talk, talks big boss man, says he's going to fuck him up tonight. Boss man versus The Rock in the main event. Ooh-wee. It, it was, you know, it's always cool to see The Rock. And these matches, were, you know, they were almost non-important because you got all the star power. I don't think there was a match on tonight that was more than maybe three, four minutes. I'd be surprised if one even went five. So next up, we have the tag team title match. The Hardy Boys are with Terry Reynolds. If you remember, they won her services in the Terry Reynolds Invitational Ladder Match with Edge and Christian. And uh, it was really, you know, there. It was really when they came out, and you know, no longer were the enhancement talent, but the tag team that we, uh, you know, all know today. So it was the Hardy Boys with Terry Reynolds versus the New Age Outlaws, who are the uh, World Tag Team Champions. I think for the third time at this point. They uh, um, in this match, they pretty much in just a short amount of time looks like the. Hardy Boys and the New Age Outlaws were just doing every move that they knew. It was really fast-paced. There wasn't a lot of selling. There was a ref bump. And um, at one point, Jerry the King Lawler says, you know, my problem with the Hardy Boys is they just take too many chances. And it's like, King, you have no idea what's coming up over the next several years or the next 22 years or whatever. And um, Xbox... X-Pac interferes and the Outlaws win another throwaway match. Just an opportunity to have a title match and to see the New Age Outlaws Outlaws and the Hardy Boys. And next up, we come to a package from, I think it was last week's SmackDown. Arnold Schwarzenegger is on SmackDown and Vince McMahon awards him the box office world champion. Okay, uh, I, I guess it was, you know, make nice with Arnold. I have no idea. So it cuts to all the media press that Arnold Schwarzenegger being on uh, SmackDown got. And it cuts to an interview where Arnold Schwarzenegger is being interviewed about his time in WWF. 
And it's funny because they, they don't play it off. They play it off like it's like some outside source, um, tabloid, whatever, who's interviewing Arnold. And it's actually Shane McMahon's wife. I think her name is Marissa Mercini or, or something like that. Um, well, hold on. Let me pause this for just a second so I can look it up. Her name is Marissa Mazzola McMahon. Um, she worked on a couple of the... Uh, morning shows like the wwf live wire and all that but it was funny they tried to play it off like she was uh you know an outside news person you know just curious about the wwf and uh, um it also showed arnold schwarzenegger like you know uh, getting into it with triple h i guess it was cool you know to see an actor be physical like that but arnold is pushing his end of days movie and i completely forgot that that movie even existed. It is a bad fucking movie. Um, it was about like the, it was 1999, so we had the Y2K hysteria, and it was about the end of the world. Wow, shitty movie. So after that, we're backstage again, and it shows outside the McMahon's office, and smoke is just billowing out. Yeah, you see all the McMahons coming out, choking, coughing, all this shit. And you don't see Stephanie come out. And it's like, oh, shit, where's Stephanie? You know, and I guess it was um, like planting the seeds for Stephanie's heel turn in uh, at the pay-per-view in December, Armageddon. But, uh, you know, from there we go to the boss man versus uh, the rock. And boss man, like I said earlier, who was number one contender at the time and even child me thought like why the fuck is this guy the number one contender yeah ray trailer he was a great worker uh i know he was a former like uwf champion um for bill watts and everything but you know at this time he was just a lackey and it was you know it was not somebody who i thought had a serious uh was in serious contention of winning the wwf world title so the match starts and the rock beats him easily with a rock bottom one two three this is our number one contender okay what the fuck you know our number one contender just got his ass beat by the rock in no time at all and um the big show comes out and makes this uh actually albert comes out and starts jumping the rock the boss man and albert are just beating the shit out of the rock and here comes the big show for the save and then for whatever reason, here comes the Holly cousins, Bob Holly, Hardcore Holly, and Crash Holly. Like, where where are they in this now? You know, I know that big the Big Show wrestled him earlier in the night, but there was no storyline with these two other than they were portraying super heavyweights. Wow, what a you know what a shitty way to get everybody involved in the show like was it really necessary to have the hollies come back out i don't think so and in our final segment of the night and kind of the main event because it went on last triple h comes out and he has his my time music which is uh like probably my favorite entrance music of uh him at least uh, i really enjoyed it and like you know going back and listening to it it has a really cool sound i think it was done by the same guys that did the dx um song the no chance in hell song but um so triple h comes out he's cutting one of his promos about how he was the wwf champion how vince mcmahon screwed him and how he took business and made it personal and so vince mcmahon comes out and he's ready to beat the shit out of triple h 
And once again, Vince McMahon at this time is in his 50s, and I think Triple H is maybe 30, and he looks like he's afraid of Vince McMahon. Why wouldn't Vince come out with, you know, you know, a couple of his guys, maybe Test or Shane McMahon, whatever. I, I never really saw Vince McMahon as a legitimate threat to anybody, you know, even when he was a good guy here. But um, he tells Vince, like, if you fucking touch me, I'll sue you, blah, blah, blah. He challenges Vince McMahon for a no disqualification match at the next pay-per-view Armageddon. And it... Vince McMahon accepts, and the final thing we see is a backstage segment of all the McMahons roughed up. Okay, um, watching it at home, um, or watching it was pretty cool, but being there, it was, it was, you know, I, I remember it kind of being boring. It was great seeing all the stars, and it was my first time seeing Chris Jericho in WWF. I think it was actually my first time ever seeing Chris Jericho. I don't think I ever saw him in WCW. Yeah, huh? But um, it was the WWF at the time was in its like uber sexual phase. There were so many references to masturbation on this show, um, so many references to sex, and this was on broadcast TV, like free TV, not even cable. It was just one of your regular channels in my area, in the Cincinnati area. We didn't get it, but. That was a big thing that SmackDown was going to be on broadcast TV. And it's on Fox now, so I guess it, you know. Other than when it was on Sci-Fi or USA for this few years, uh, SmackDown has always kind of been on one of the freer channels. It was on WB for a while. Um, I think UPN turned into my TV. I don't really remember all that. But it was kind of the flagship show of UPN. And, um... This SmackDown really, like, kind of, I think, laid down the groundwork for the Armageddon pay-per-view in December, which was a turning point because it was the first time Stephanie McMahon turns heel. And at this time, you know, Stephanie's so sweet. Her voice is all soft. She doesn't have that McMahon base yet, but it, it's coming. Um, she doesn't, you know, this heel turn is... Not the most natural to her yet, but she really gets into it in time. The Armageddon pay-per-view was not even a month away at this point. It really, uh, like I said, lays, lays the groundwork for it. The results of the Armageddon pay-per-view that we were leading to was on Sunday Night Heat, Al Snow with Head defeats Test. Um, you know, his career is just on a downward spiral from that point on, from this show on. The Accolades uh, de, uh, win a Battle Royal to be the number one contender by last eliminating the Hardy Boys. Kurt Angle dis defeats Steve Blackman. Miss Kitty defeated BB, Ivory, and Jacqueline. And I'm looking off of uh, Wikipedia here for the results. And BB doesn't even have a link to her name. Like, she doesn't even have a, a, a profile on Wikipedia. Uh, maybe I should do some more research and kind of find out about her. But I, I don't remember her being in WWF that long. But the the Hollies defeat Rikishi and Viscera. And I don't remember if uh, Rikishi was a part of Too Cool yet. If not, it was really close and it was coming. Val Venus defeated the British Bulldog and D'Lo Brown for the uh, European Championship. Kane defeated X-Pac in a steel cage match. Chris Jericho defeated China, the champion, the Intercontinental Champion, who had Miss Kitty at, in her corner by submission. 
The Rock and Sock Connection defeated the New Age Outlaws by disqualification, so I guess no title change. Big Show defeated the Boss Man and Prince Albert in three minutes. Wow, all that built for that. And it was funny because the previous month was Survivor Series. And it was supposed to be like Team Big Show versus uh, Team Boss Man. And if I remember correctly, and let me pull up the Wikipedia page. The, uh, um, the Big Show beat up everybody on his team and took on the Big Boss Man, Midian, and Prince Albert and Viscera in a one-on-four handicap match and defeated everybody in one minute and 24 seconds. And we're supposed to, Big Boss Man with three guys cannot beat the Big Show. And we're supposed to buy into it next month that uh, Big Boss Man has a chance of being the WWF champion. Nah, dog, nah. So um, the final match, the uh, no-holds-barred match, Triple H defeats Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon, in 29 minutes and 45 seconds. I mean, it says something about Vince, a non-worker, going that long, but... And if I remember correctly, I think it was a pretty good match for, you know, it was obviously New Holtz Bard uh, kind of, you know, hide some of Vince's weaknesses, you know, not being an actual wrestler wrestler, but, or sports entertainer, as he'd like to call it. it sounds like uh, the word wrestling is, uh, you know, back in the WWF, WWE vocabulary these days. So, you know, that's interesting. Um, all in all, not a great SmackDown. You got to see lots of stars. I was probably disappointed that The Undertaker wasn't on it. Uh, but, you know, oh well. I'm trying to pinpoint the exact time The Undertaker left in 1999 for that reason. Um, I think this was uh, before the Ministry of... No, maybe it was after. I, I can't recall. I'm looking back at the um, pay-per-views to see the last one Undertaker was at. And the last one he was at, he, him and Big Show took on Kane and X-Pac. And I don't know exactly when he left, but funny thing was, is the Unforgiven 99, September 26, 1999, at, in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Charlotte Coliseum. Undertaker is on the cover, but he is not in any of the matches, as far as I can tell. And I'll probably go back and watch that sometime. But, you know, um, I, I don't remember if this is when The Undertaker... Actually, yeah, no, definitely. This is past the ministry because Visser is there. So I think this is when The Undertaker was put into a casket match with Triple H on SmackDown. and was just like, yeah, fuck that. I ain't doing it. Walks out. And is out for about a year and comes back to see American Badass. Okay, um, it's, uh, you know... 22 years, 23 years later, it's hard to keep your timeline in check. So up next week, we have my first and only WCW pay-per-view, WCW Sold Out 2000, January 16th, 2000, at the uh, First Star Center, I think it was called at the time. It was later U.S. Bank Arena, now it's the Heritage Bank Arena, but it was on the river, and um. This, to me, was really the marking of the end for WCW. It was uh, kind of some backstory to it. It was Vince Russo walked out of the company because they wanted him to have, you know, some kind of accountability for his writing, and he didn't want to do it. And 
So he quits, and they put Kevin Sullivan back in. Well, a lot of the wrestlers weren't happy about that. Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, Shane Douglas. It was kind of a historic night because that was all those guys, with the exception of Shane Douglas. It was all their last nights in WCW. The card was just riddled with changes from all the injuries. Um, Bret Hart was out injured, but would later become retired from um, his injury. Jeff Jarrett was out with an injury. The entire, there was, I think, five matches changed the night of the show to accommodate injuries and what have you. But we'll get to that, you know, next week. It was, it was a bad, bad show. I'm currently in the process of watching it right now. And there was, you know, there were some good matches, but there were some bad matches. If you like Billy Kidman, you probably enjoyed the show. I thought he was all right. He was good, but not really my scene, the, you know, with the cruiserweights. But, yeah, so next week, WCW sold out 2000 from the First Star Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. And for this week, we still have our book of the week which was Jim Ross's Under the Black Hat. So this uh, was the sequel to his original book, Slobberknocker. Slobberknocker ended with him, um, right after his Bell Palsy incident, him coming back to do the main event for WrestleMania 15, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. This is post that. This is um, uh, pretty much from... Uh, WrestleMania 15 to him leaving WWE and doing some stuff in New Japan. It, I think it is right off, it ends right before AEW. But it, it's a really good book, and I have no complaints about it. There's, you know, it goes over the details of his wife's death. It's just heartbreaking stuff um, about, you know, the problems he was having in WWE, how he just wanted to do his job, and, you know, he just continually got fucked with. It was a, It's a really good book. I uh, highly recommend you check it out. Check out his first one, too. It's really good. They're all really good. Jim Ross is a really good writer. And um, right now I am reading Shawn Michaels' second book, Wrestling for My Life, and as soon as I get that done, I'm going to finally start Bill Watts' book, and I am super, super excited about that. As soon as I finish that, I'll, um, you know, I'll give it a review on here. And, you know, I'm just going to enjoy that one. I've got so many books I've already read that I can review. So I'm not, you know, in a hurry just to get it done and just get it out there. It's, um, it's, you know, it's something I'm really going to enjoy. I also went back and bought some of the books that I read, like, many years ago. I don't know what happened to my copy of, like, Mick Foley's first two books or Stone Cold's book or Ric Flair's book or Bret Hart's book. So I'm going back through the process of buying them. And they're all so expensive. I don't know why they're so fucking expensive now. I guess a lot of them are out of print. The uh, copy of the uh, Mick Foley book that I bought is uh, like the mass produced like paperback one. I remember, I think the hard copy of the book was something like 300 pages. This one's like 700. I don't really like the, the small print and everything like that. I'll buy them if I have to. But, like, uh, I, I cannot find a hard copy of Mick Foley or Bret Hart or Stone Cold or Ric Flair's without spending, like, 50 bucks. So, if I have to, I'll just get the, you know, little paperback one. Not my favorite, but I will. 
I, uh, you know, kind of splurged with the Bill Watts one. I didn't pay the, you know, outrageous 50 fucking dollars for it. I finally found, um, on Amazon, actually, somebody was selling it used. I bought it for 30 bucks, and it was an additional $5 for shipping, so what the fuck? But, um, I, I fought the urge to get, spend the extra, like, 10 bucks to have it, like, you know, overnighted, and... With just paying the regular shipping, and it came from UPS, not, uh, you know, Amazon's uh, delivery system. It got here a day before it was expected if I had gotten the expensive shipping. So that was pretty cool. It, it's thick. I uh, I really like, you know, how it's printed and everything. It should be an easy read. I'm really looking forward to it. You know what that means. It's time for unpopular opinion. Okay, so before we wrap this up for uh, the week, my unpopular opinion, and this is going to, this pisses off a lot of people. I think Stone Cold Steve Austin's heel turn at WrestleMania 17 was cool. I remember when it happened, uh, Stone Cold was fighting The Rock in a no disqualification match, and Vince McMahon came out. And he's helping Stone Cold Steve Austin, and all the, the commentators are like, oh, he must really hate The Rock, because he definitely hates Stone Cold. And finally, the Austin wins after something like 11 chair shots to The Rock, and Austin and Vince McMahon shake hands in the middle of the ring and share a beer. Like, holy shit. I remember my young little mind just being blown by that. And keep in mind, at the time, Stone Cold and Vince McMahon had been feuding for years, years. Even when Vince, Vince would do his like face turn, which were always ruses, like him and Stone Cold Steve Austin were never cool. And here they are shaking hands now. Later, like when Austin would team with uh, Kurt Angle and they would do their silly, you know, skits or whatever, funny as hell, but. It really diluted, you know, the heel Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think it had a ton of potential. It could have been great. And then when they had Stone Cold Steve Austin turn on Team WWF and join the Alliance, that was stupid as shit. Um, it had some really good matches out of Stone Cold Steve Austin at the time. Like I said earlier, Unforgiven 2001 with Kurt Angle. But the initial heel turn of Stone Cold Steve Austin I thought was great. The, uh, you know... The execution was great, but everything after that, not so great. So, yeah. Next week, WCW sold out 2000. And before we sign off for the week, um, like I'm always saying that if you guys ever have any books you want me to check out, any shows you want me to review, any topics you want me to talk about, I'm really trying to build up my fan base here. And um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. I really appreciate that. If you could, uh, you know, give me a five-star review on whatever platform you're checking this out on. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can uh, get your podcast. I uh, I had to individually enroll in each of these, so I kind of just, and it took forever. So I just kind of like got the top eight podcast platforms and put myself on there. I am working towards building up a YouTube page. You know, it's just something I really haven't had the time for. And uh, kind of uploading these on here, maybe putting segments on, whatever. 
you know, for the people who uh, can, you know, digest a couple minute segment opposed to an entire hour that I'm usually doing. And at some point, I'll get around to making a Facebook page for this channel. Um, we do have the Twitter, Late Night Pod 11. Uh, always email me at the Late Night Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, just there's plenty of platforms to reach out at me. You can get at me on actually my personal Facebook, Brandon Sir at Facebook. There's a, you know, a picture of me with a, my big ass beard. And I uh, you know, just reach out. Uh, Twitter is probably your best bet. I check it periodically. I do not have <clears throat> the Twitter on my phone, just because I'm you know I don't want to be those people, one of those people that are just constantly just filling up people's feed with stuff for my podcast. I also do have a nine to five Monday through Friday job too that takes up a lot of my time. This is purely a labor of love. I enjoy doing it. Um, you know. If I could get famous and quit my day job, that'd be great, but not expecting that to happen. I just enjoy wrestling, and I, I hope you enjoy what I'm um, you know, giving to you guys every week. So I was going to do next week, instead of the sold out, my first and only AEW Dynamite. It's the only AEW show that's come to Cincinnati. And um, <clears throat> I cannot find, like, I can find the segments to it or whatever, but, like, I cannot find out, like, you know, where to watch it. Uh, there's little YouTube clips or whatever, but I don't want to mess with that. I just want to watch the full show. If I had, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, I wish I would have kept it on the DVR and just, like, you know, held on to it for, uh, you know, a time like this. But it was in September of uh, 2021, so I, you know, at that time, I, uh, you know, the podcast was just kind of something I was like, you know, thinking about, wasn't sure if I was going to do, wasn't sure if I'd even know how to do it. So, and I wasn't sure what kind of podcast I was going to do. I knew it would be wrestling related, but I didn't know I would go with my own nostalgic, you know, take on things. So, yeah, um, I have got a busy ass week of work ahead of me, so I will not probably be on the Twitter too much. But I'll always make a point to check it, uh, you know, uh, right before the show, right after show, right after the show and on the weekends. So if you hit me up on Monday and I don't get back to you till Thursday, just know it's because my life is crazy hectic right now. All right. So I will see you guys next week. Hit me up on Twitter, late night pod 11, or shoot me an email at late night wrestling pod at gmail.com. All right, it's late. You got to work in the morning. Get your ass to bed. Peace. Real quick, um, <clears throat> just jumping back on. Sorry, I'm not trying to yell at you guys. I just checked the Twitter before I went to bed, and uh, the Arcadian Vanguard's Booking the Territory has just started following me, which uh, it's a great show. They review the old WCW Saturday nights. They went through all the Smoky Mountain Wrestling episodes and reviewed those so uh i just want to shout, give a shout out to booking the territory with arcadian vanguard thanks for following me um you guys are doing a great job you know maybe we can collaborate someday all right now for real see ya <laughs>